Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here with Epiphany Communications and Coaching. My next guest uh, is talking with us about the Pacific Institute community, which we talked a little bit, actually, we talked a lot about with Rick Brown, and I wanted to continue the conversation with our next guest, who is the president and CEO of the Pacific Institute community. He's leadership and community initiatives development specialist, and John McNeil is joining us, and the Pacific Institute community focuses on bringing people and institutions together to accomplish common cause objectives. And talk with us about that and so much more is John McNeil. John, how are you? I'm terrific, Vanessa, and excited to be with you. It's, uh, it's not often you get to listen to anything these days. It's good news. So I'm glad you have your uh, community program on. Thank you so much, John. And, you know, that's a really good point because, you know, the good news, the positive, what we what we listen to, what we take in affects our mindset and how we approach life. So let's let's first start before we get into that detail of that. John, let's let's uh, talk to our listeners about what is the Pacific Institute in achieving balanced well-being? Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I've answered this probably 10,000 times. So let's see if I can do it succinctly. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting. I about nineteen. I started with the Pacific Institute in nineteen eighty. I happened to guess correctly on a test, and uh, my godfather, who is Lou Tice, founder of the Pacific Institute, thought that uh, thought that I was going to be an athlete. And then when he found out that I tested as being bright, he decided that I should come to work for the Pacific Institute. And long long story short, well, an easy way to tell the story is. In 1990, uh, I was asked to mentor a psychologist who'd come to the Pacific Institute family of consultants, uh, Dr. Joe Pace. And for six months, I mentored him on, on our techniques for helping people realize goals that they set for themselves. And uh, after six months, Joe said, you know what? I, I, I know how to describe what it is that we do. I said, how's that? He said, well, we teach people their unique recipe for success. And then he went on to say, he said, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in an Italian part of uh, uh, Warren, Pennsylvania. And he said, it's up by Buffalo, New York. And he said, in Warren, Pennsylvania, my folks were Italian immigrants who came to this section of town and decided that they were gonna start a pizzeria. And uh, Years later, uh, they were very successful, had multiple uh, establishments. And he said, but one day when I got married, I was living in Hollywood, Florida, uh, seeking my doctorate. And my wife, Sharon, I, I asked her, I said, can you call Mama Pache and, and ask her for the recipe for lasagna? And so Sharon called Mama Pache and she said, uh, Mama Pache, uh, do you have a recipe for lasagna? She said, me no have no recipe. She said, you have no recipe. She said, no, me just do a little of this and a little of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Sharon, Sharon said, well, uh, I'm flying up to Warren and uh, I want to just follow you around. Is that okay? She said, sure. And so Sharon went up to Warren, Pennsylvania. And one day they were at the Pache home and, and she said, Mama Pache, can you make Joey some lasagna? She said, sure. And she said, can I watch? She said, sure. And so under Sharon's watchful eye, Mama Pache started making lasagna and she put in all the different ingredients, whether it was 
Parmesan or mozzarella or butter or flour, or milk or salt, etc. And each time she went to drop the ingredient into the pot, Sharon would reach out a dinner plate and capture the ingredient and then measure it. And by the um, time Mama, Mama Pache had finished, even the dash of oregano, uh, Sharon had captured Mama Pache's world famous la lasagna and brought back the lasagna to Joe and brought back the uh, recipe. Uh, and what I think that the Pacific Institute is, is the Pacific Institute is basically Sharon Pace. We have studied, whether it be Piaget, uh, Dr. Bandura, um, Seligman, uh, Eric Erickson, uh, basically some of the greatest psychologists of the world who have captured, if you will, the ingredients to success. And what we do is we basically have come up with a recipe that we've applied all over the world to 8 million graduates and now extending from there to the world at large. Wow. What a great story to share. I love that, John. You really do such a great job bringing people into the story and can visualize uh, what you're talking about. So thank you for sharing that story and that great point. And, you know, um, can you tell us a little bit more about Lou Teich, your godfather and the founder of Pacific Institute and what really was the driving and the driving force behind of the work that he's doing and the motivation? When did he realize he was onto something pretty powerful? You know, back in the uh, early 60s, uh, I, I guess you would say that the cognitive psychologists came onto the scene. Before that, we were basically into behaviorist and stimulus response. And so, but, but when the cognitive psychologists came about, we started understanding it was how we thought about ourselves that made the difference. It wasn't just reward and punishment. It was our thinking about how we behave, the beliefs that we've developed and how they influence our and at the time, Lou and Diane Tice, co-founders of the Pacific Institute in 1971, at that time, they were just starting their own family and they couldn't have kids. And so they adopted, uh, they ended up with 11 foster and adopted kids. And these kids had gone through a series of abusive backgrounds. And uh, so Lou was trying to be effective as a parent to overcome some of these these psychological blows that they had taken during the, their young lives. And so he, he found an interest in this cognitive psychology. And not only was he applying it at home, but he was applying it as a coach in a high school uh, in the Seattle area. And his teams started winning. They not only started winning, they started winning by a lot. And they won state championships. He had, he had uh, all Americans that would come off of his teams. And it wasn't just that they were playing better on the gridiron, but they were also being friendlier at home. They were being more cooperative. And uh, as we know, uh, that'll, that'll strike a nerve with parents. And so the parents of these kids started asking Lou if he could teach this education to the rest of the family and maybe to corporations. And so the Pacific Institute was born in 1971 when Lou decided he'd use this education on himself to grow himself. And so flash forward 50 years later, uh, the Pacific Institute, as I mentioned, has over 8 million graduates all over the world 
30, excuse me, 60 different countries, 22 different languages. And the Pacific Institute has played roles in ending apartheid in South Africa, uh, ending the troubles in Northern Ireland, uh, helping graduate first graders in Guatemala. Uh, and obviously we've worked with many, many corporations and many athletic teams, et cetera, et cetera. And my particular focus was uh, I happened to guess correctly on a test. And if I hadn't guessed on that test correctly, uh, I don't know where my life would have been, but I assume that based on the environment I grew up in, that uh, I either would have been an athlete or I would have probably been selling drugs. Oh. Uh, that that oh. was the environment I was in. So uh, when I got the luck of the draw and ended up at the Pacific Institute, I decided to uh, work with people that were in transition. That's whether they were moving from corrections into mainstream population or uh, moving from unemployment to employment. And uh, so I ended up working with organizations like that all around the world. And uh, here we are uh, 42 years later for me. You know, and, and John, you basically were fortunate to really grow up with Lou Tice and the Pacific Institute. How has it impacted and enhanced your life and continues to do so because I'm a firm believer and we've talked about this because I've gone through uh achieving balance well-being like three times now and I absolutely love it and uh thank you for allowing me to be one of your facilitators I'm so excited to bring this to my own clients but you know we've talked about this offline when you teach when you facilitate when you host like I do you learn along the way you know as much as the people you know are you're you're working with so can you speak to that for uh, our listeners today about how it continues to enhance your life all these years later? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I'll just talk about the COVID period of time, uh, particularly because, you know, what's we all know that uh, we've all heard of fight or flight. Uh, and in the news media today, unfortunately, uh, has done a great job of representing 2% of the population that commit crime. Yeah. 90, 98% of the people are living good lives. But if you listen to the news too carefully, you'd think 98% of the people must be committing crimes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> you're <laughs> but, right. <laughs> and so when fear is in our in our environment, our critical skin, uh, thinking skills shut off. And so what I needed to know during COVID is how to manage my thinking when fear was present in virtually everyone's life. Mm. And so like everybody else, uh, as an unessential worker, uh, I was I was destined for Zoom calls. And so uh, staying quarantined at home uh, was okay. I'm in Bend, Oregon, but my mother uh, lives in Seattle, Washington, and she's a little bit older. And I knew she was alone and, uh, and I didn't want to go up and visit her. And so here I am trying to manage my own thinking and then catastrophic thinking started occurring in myself with worry about my mother. And so one of the things that I managed to do is to bring my mom very early onto Zoom calls so that she could be a part of a social network that was thinking positively. And it changed the dynamic of my mother, myself, our family, friends, graduates. 
And so what we ended up doing from there is I began to envision a future that used online self-paced education guided with discussions amongst people who were focused on living healthy lives. You know, Jenna, it's, I love that you, the fact that you brought up fear because I was just uh, talking, coaching a client before I got on the interview with you today. And it was very fear-driven, fear-based. And it was like every decision that was being made in this office was based on, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if that happens? It was all, all fear-driven. And it compromised their critical thinking because they were operating out of from a place of fear. Is that pretty prevalent? Do you see in the work that you see that a lot of people are operating out of fear and are making bad decisions based on those, those fears? Uh, the answer is uh, where I'm working, people are definitely uh, have succumbed to fear, mm -hmm. uh, especially when I uh, talk about the correctional world or people who are on the periphery of society. Uh, yeah. One of the psychological concepts that we teach is you move toward and become like that, what you think about, whether it's good for you or not. Yeah. And so if you can imagine a, a, a little kid first learning to ride a bicycle, and they're riding down the road and they see a rock in the road, but they don't want to hit the rock. But what do they stare at? The rock. The rock. And yeah. they keep st staring yeah. at the rock until smack, they run doggone into that rock. And then they get mad at the rock as if the rock jumped in front of them. The fact of the matter is we move toward and become like that, which we think about. So back in, a, in the early days of modern man, uh, as we can, as we envision Neanderthal, if you will, going out into the woods, it was it it, it benefited Neanderthal to see the saber-toothed tiger over the berries he was looking for, because he could come back and get the berries tomorrow. But if that saber-toothed tiger got him, uh, there was no tomorrow. So fear is programmed into us to notice and to take, you know, to, to allow our blood to run to our extremities so that we can either fight or flight. Mm -hmm. But where's that blood come from? That blood comes from our brains. Mm -hmm. It's captured and pulled, pulled down to our extremities. So our critical thinking skills turn off automatically. Wow. And so fear will overtake your critical thinking skills. And so it's really important that you don't focus, if you will, on the rock, which is fear and worry. You know, John, that reminds me of a book I read in high school for a French class called the Le Petit Prince, Le Petit Prince. And mm -hmm. he was an alcoholic who continued to drinking because he was depressed that he was an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... See, I mean, and, and I remember that. It's like, how many things do we do? We eat because we're focused on being fat, right? I mean, yeah. what are we doing? Because what our brain is focused on. And it's it's like this visual cycle that we get ourselves into. You have worked with so many amazing organizations, Fortune 500 companies, athletic organizations over the span of several decades since Pacific Institute's inception. Can you speak to our listeners about who benefits from the Pacific Institute in achieving well balanced well-being? Well, anyone, obviously, uh, mm -hmm. when you're talking about a little child, yeah. parents are the best teachers. 
And so as a parent receives this education, obviously they can transmit it and how they uh, have conversations with their kids. But in particular, one of my favorite projects was I was asked to architect a project called A Better LA that was inspired by Coach Pete Carroll, now with the Seattle Seahawks, but then in 2003, he was with the uh, University of Southern California, or the USC Trojans. And Pete was interested in stopping kid children on children violence in gangs. And so my job was to go and get the community rallied around the understanding that we have 700 kids killing kids per year, and that's not acceptable. Mm. It's not acceptable, but like the person who is an alcoholic uh, and they drink to stay an alcoholic, once you've accepted that you have 700 murders a year, it becomes unfortunately normal. Yeah. And, and when it becomes normal, you maintain your normal. So mm -hmm. great project there. Who benefited? Law enforcement benefited. Social yeah. service agencies benefited. The gang members benefited from the fact that they understood their recipe for success. They had just been applying it toward negative ends. And so once you get the understanding, once you understand your recipe, you can apply it anywhere. And I must also say, you need to have opportunity. And so when you have a network of people around you who are presenting opportunity, you can see it. So you can seize those opportunities. So uh, favorite project, uh, we ended up working with the parks with Mayor Villaraigosa. Uh, and we did a project called Summer Night Lights, where in one particular project uh, in Park, excuse me, uh, they had eight murders the previous year. We got the kids involved. It no longer be became a war-torn environment, parks, where gangs battled for turf. It became family-friendly family because the community rose and took accountability for it. And in 58 parks over eight years, there was not a single homicide. Wow. Wow. That's a huge testament. I mean, and John, you pointing out a huge problem, uh, an epidemic in the country today uh, with gun violence and, and, and um, crime on children, on cr uh, other children. Um, and so what a, what a great example to share. Just one of the, one of, one of the more powerful example, one of the most powerful examples you shared a great one. You have many of those. There's so many amazing stories, so many organizations you've worked with, and you talk a lot about teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, and diversity. Can you elaborate for our listeners on that approach? Yeah, well, uh, I've found in my own personal life that there's not many things I could get done on my own that required a team and a team that doesn't think like each other. If we all think the same way, we don't have much benefit for each other. But when you have diversity of thought, especially uh, because of diversity of culture, diversity of experience, those teams can come together and point out areas that you didn't see before. And once you can see it, you can seize it. Uh, but if you don't see it, you're blinded by your own truth. And I'll give you a, a, an example that dates way back, 1985. Uh, we were working in Australia and Lou Tice was working with the, uh, I believe it's a premier in Australia, but I, I could be wrong. 
But at any rate, we were working with the top echelon of the political parties in Australia. And about a year after Lou did his presentation and, and teaching with them, uh, he got a call and I happened to be in his office. And the call was from the equivalent of Homeland Security for the nation. And uh, so uh, Lou's assistant put him in uh, to Lou's telephone and Lou put him on speaker and he said, Lou, he said, I just called to thank you. And he said, for what? And he said, for your training a year ago. He said, well, uh, it's a little late. <laughs> and he yeah. said, well, no, I just got some results. And he said, well, tell me. And he said, well, you know, about a year ago, we had experienced the largest increase in death by drunk drivers that we had ever seen in Australia. And so I got the usual suspects together, Department of Transportation, Law Enforcement, et cetera. And I asked him, we've got to solve this problem about drinking and driving on our roads and the deaths that are occurring. Mm -hmm. And so he said, he said, uh, he said, Lou, yeah. I, I realized that these folks were all coming up with punitive solutions. Like let's increase the jail time for drunk driving. Let's, let's, uh, Let's suspend their licenses, just take their licenses away, et cetera, et cetera. It was the same old stuff. Yeah. And he said, then I remembered what you said. We need to think outside the box and we need to goal set clearly. And he said, so he said, our goal is this. It's to get everybody home safely, even the drunk driver. So I want to dream up highways for drunks. And they all shook their head, but they came up with ideas like ridges on the side of the road to wake the drunk driver up, to increase the size of the turtle in the middle of the road. The off-ramps, instead of having barrels with cement, they put barrels with water in them, plastic uh, barrels with water, collapsible poles on the side of the road. And he said, I'm calling you now because our deaths due to drinking have been cut in half. Thank wow. you. Wow. Wow. What a powerful story. And uh, John, I just quoted something you just said, because I think it needs to be uh, 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 quoted everywhere, attributed to you, because I love it. Once you see it, you can seize it. But if you don't see it, you're blinded by your own truth. What a great quote. Well, thank you. I, thank you for catching that one. <laughs> that, that was I, I wrote it because I'm going to share it. I'm going to, of course, credit you. That's powerful. And what I love about that, John, I think that what we have seen, and I'm not going to get into politics, but I'm just going to throw it out there because I don't want to get into a political divide. But what we've seen in the world today since 2020, you summed it up because we're not seeing it and we're blinded by our own truth because we're not there as teamwork collaborating and the diversity. We want so badly to believe what we believe to be truth. We're not hearing from other people. I think it's, it's such a, it's so valid in what's going on in the world today. Uh, Vanessa, you know, we're not the only ones who teach psychology. Uh, there are, there are commercial organizations who understand these very principles. There are politicians who understand these very principles. And my concern is that we've got a minority of people out there. We've got a small group of people who understands uh, this issue. And the challenge is this, that as long as they can keep us blind, they can control us. If they can keep, keep us divided in fear, they can control us. Uh, and I don't mean control like move us. 
I mean control, like we must follow somebody because we can't see ourselves. Yep. And what did you go back to earlier? What did we start talking about earlier? Decisions out of fear. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, as we know, when that blood leaves your brain to go to your extremities, you're not going to think clearly. And there's so much information coming our way that we just skim through it. We don't critically think. Yeah. And so if we yeah. can get people to critically think again and to visualize the future that they want. And it's all about replacement pictures. If you're drinking and you're an alcoholic, it's important to see life without alcohol and see it in all its glory. Then you'll take active steps toward a future that you want. If you see the future with the absence of alcohol and then feeling miserable, you'll stay drinking. Great point. John McNeil is who we're talking to, president and CEO of the Pacific Institute Community Leadership and Community Initiative Development Specialist. And we're talking about achieving balanced well-being as well. And John, for people listening who want to learn more, where can they go? Well, I would encourage them to go to you, Vanessa, because <laughs> you, you can guide them. But uh -huh. you know, uh, the fact of the matter is, if they want to talk to me, uh, just mention that uh, I'll give you my email address is the best way to contact me. And that's McNeil M-C-N-E-I-L, at the Pacific Institute Community.com. And just mention that uh, you, they heard me or you heard me on the radio with Vanessa, and uh, I'll get you wherever you need to go. John, uh, you have a couple of minutes left with you, about a minute or so here in It's Your Community. What else do you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? I hope. Be hopeful. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the, key, the key to success, and, you know, as we learn the neurosciences, and, and they're starting to validate some of the things we learned from the cognitive psychologists, but one of the key things to overcome fear and worry is to have love and gratitude. And so to the degree that you can encounter people and look at their quirkiness with intrigue and love and just see people as unique and contributing and watch how not only do you change in the way you interface with that individual, but they change how they deal with you. I, I learned a long time ago that it's really hard to dislike somebody who likes you. So, <laughs> so find a reason to like other people and watch how the world gets along better. Amen. Wow. Great messages. John McNeil, thank you so much for joining us here on It's Your Community. Well, thank you, Vanessa. I'm, I, like I said, I'm excited. I'm excited about what you do because what you do is bring good news to the community. And I appreciate the fact that uh, there's, there's places where people can get great information that'll help their own personal well-being. Yeah, it's about hope, bringing people hope. John McNeil, have any questions or comments show topics you want me to cover? You can reach me, Vanessa Denhagarmo, very easily by going to Epiphany Communications and Coaching. You could private message me there. You can also find me on all my social media platforms, Epiphany Communications and Coaching on Facebook, Vanessa Denhagarmo on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and private message me on any of those platforms as well. As always, we remind you, our listeners, to connect, communicate, and to collaborate with your community. We'll catch you next time right here on It's Your Community. It's your community. 
a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.